When you were growing up, how many of you actually liked getting disciplined? I sure didn't. And I would bet most people don't like getting disciplined. And yet the fact is we need to be disciplined. We need to be disciplined for our own good. I was fortunate to have a dad and a mom who got that area of family life mostly right. And through their example, I learned that there are two kinds of discipline a parent can give a child. There's the discipline we deserve, and then there's the discipline we need. And we deserve discipline when we mess up and do something wrong. And that's when mom and dad step in and they give us some discipline to correct our behavior, to show us how to behave differently in the future. I was a very strong-willed child, so I got a lot of that kind of discipline growing up. Discipline that I deserved because of misbehavior. The discipline we need is different because it's not the result of bad behavior. It's discipline that's designed to help us grow. And so, for example, mom or dad might, might really challenge us to spend more time on our studies at home so that we gain the academic knowledge that we need to succeed in life. They may encourage us to set aside time to read each day and improve our minds and our language skills. They may challenge us to practice a musical instrument or a sport. They might teach us the value of Bible reading or prayer or the importance of gathering with the community of faith for worship. This is a kind of discipline that pushes us into patterns of repetition, and the discipline of repetition allows us to learn new things or develop new skills. It's discipline that we need in order to become mature. And as discipline comes our way, whichever kind of discipline it is, we have a choice. We either can resist it or we can embrace it. And when we embrace discipline, it leads to self-discipline. And we learn to manage our time. We learn to manage our behavior. We learn to manage our lives. And that's why discipline, even though we don't like it, is so necessary. Discipline is a sign of love. Letting kids simply indulge themselves with no discipline is simply not healthy. Loving parents discipline their kids. And our heavenly parent, God the Father, does the same thing. He disciplines you and he disciplines me because we are his children. He knows it's not good for us to simply indulge ourselves in this life. And so he hands out both the discipline that we deserve and the discipline that we need. And he does this as a demonstration of his love. We find a great description of this in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 13. And And as we're going to see... Our Heavenly Father disciplines us so we can learn self-discipline. And as we learn self-discipline, then we can experience a life of richness as children of God. Let's take a look. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything 
everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Because in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. One of the interesting things about the book of Hebrews is that we don't know who wrote it. We have no idea who the author is. From certain things said within the book, though, we know that it probably originated as a sermon. So I like to refer to the author simply as the preacher. And here in chapter 12, in this part of his message, the preacher wants us to understand how God the Father sets the stage so that his children can learn some discipline, some self-discipline. He begins here with the word therefore, which tells us that the preacher is summarizing what he just wrote in chapter 11. And when we look back at that chapter, we discover sort of a, a hall of fame for God's faithful people. The chapter highlights a number of men and women, people like Moses and Abraham, Noah, Gideon, Rahab, and more. And these people came from different walks of life. They lived in different places at different times. And the biblical record makes it clear that they were all flawed people. They were far from perfect. And yet they're listed in the faithful hall of fame because they chose to trust God at critical moments in life. They learned to lay aside their own wants and preferences and desires and willingly follow God wherever he led them. And so their stories and their names are preserved for us here in Scripture so they can serve as role models for a self-disciplined life of faith. That's chapter 11. And here in chapter 12, the preacher now describes these Hall of Famers as a great cloud of witnesses who are watching us run the race of life. He wants us to have a picture of a stadium full of faithful people who've gone before us and who've already finished the race. These are men and women who broke the tape. They're now with God, and they are in the stands rooting for you and rooting for me. So in those moments when we struggle and feel weary, in those moments when we doubt in those moments when life gets hard and our faith is tested, the preacher wants us to look up into the stands around us and be inspired by these men and women who live by faith and who finished well. They faced the same kinds of challenges that we face, yet they did not give up and they did not give in. They continued to run the race until the very end and so can we. And because of their example, we can be like them and we can turn away from sin and from the distractions that hinder us. By faith in our Father, we can overcome lust and pride and greed. We can overcome everything that hinders us, everything that might entangle us, the things that hobble us and cause us to limp. 
rather than run a good race. These witnesses are here to remind us that we can live a victorious life of faith. And to give us hope and to give us confidence, we have more than just these role models seated in the stands. We have Jesus waiting for us at the finish line. He is our ultimate role model for self-discipline because he devoted his entire life to the purposes of the Heavenly Father. Jesus doesn't expect perfection from us. He just asks us to stay in our lane and keep running the race. And so as the preacher says, we just fix our eyes on him. We fix our eyes on Jesus as he waits at the finish line, cheering us on. And so Jesus and these witnesses who have gone before can inspire us. They can encourage us. And their victory reminds us of the need to develop a self-disciplined faith. And we need self-discipline because the race of faith is long. It lasts a lifetime and at times it's extremely hard. It certainly was hard for Jesus. As we're told here, he endured not just the pain of the cross for us, but the shame of the cross. Did you know that crucifixion was called the tree of shame? You see, Jesus' enemies wanted to use the pain of the cross to destroy his life and the shame of the cross to destroy his reputation. And they failed. They failed because he endured. They failed because the Son of God exercised self-discipline and obediently trusted the plan of his heavenly Father. They failed because Jesus rose from the dead and now is with God, the heavenly Father, in the heavenly places. That example is given to inspire us. And like Jesus, like these witnesses, a self-disciplined faith can carry you and me through the most difficult parts of life. And the reality is, some of us at times have to go through some very difficult things. And yet, even as we say that, we need to keep our problems in perspective. The preacher wants us to do that. He reminds us that we've not had to shed our blood as Jesus did. And so in reality... In reality, our hardships pale in comparison to his. And so shouldn't we then be able to run this race with endurance? Particularly when Jesus himself is waiting for us at the tape. We can run this race well if we develop a self-disciplined faith. How though do we gain that That quality in our life, does self-discipline just magically show up? Do we get it by osmosis? No, it's given to us by our Heavenly Father. He personally disciplines you and He disciplines me. He disciplines us in order to mold us and shape us so that we can live by faith. And God's discipline demonstrates that we are His children and He is our Father. His discipline demonstrates that he is a good father and a loving father. And so he gives us both the discipline we deserve as well as the discipline we need. That's what the preacher talks about next, verse 5. 
And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Here, here in verses five and <clears throat> excuse me, five and six, the preacher quotes from the third chapter of the book of Proverbs, and it's a quote about discipline, and yet he calls it a word of encouragement. Isn't that interesting? I it may strike you as a bit odd. Discipline? Encouraging? Yeah, it actually can be. Discipline is not enjoyable, but it can be encouraging. It's encouraging because children who receive no discipline aren't loved, they're neglected. Parental discipline is a sign of love and care. After the first service, Norm Fox, our literary scholar reminded me of a line from the novel Huck Finn, incorrigible Huck Finn. And he comments, I got a lickin' and it cheered me up some. (laughs) Discipline can be encouraging because it is a sign that somebody cares. And if we embrace discipline, it can change us. Mark Lee and his wife Susan decided to become foster parents and they specialized in working with teens from troubled homes and over many years they had their successes and failures but one man in particular stands out. His name was Gene and his parents were drug users and they were embroiled and lost in their own world of addiction and crime and as a result Gene was left on his own most of the time. And so when he got in trouble with kids in the neighborhood When he was failing academically at school, his parents could have cared less. Gene started to have run-ins with the law. He spent time in and out of the juvenile detention system. Eventually, he was taken away from his parents, and he was passed through multiple foster homes, and he wound up with Mark and Suzanne. And they stepped into Gene's life in an active way. They set boundaries. They handed out discipline. They cheered for him when he succeeded. They lovingly admonished him when he failed. And they showed him how to change. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy for any of them. There was a lot of rebellion. There were lots and lots of tears. There was a lot of heartache. Eventually, though, Gene began to thrive under their discipline. And he began to learn some self-discipline. For the first time in his life, he began to study and begin to get acceptable grades. And he graduated from high school and he went on to trade school and then discovered that God had given him some phenomenal mechanical aptitude. And today he owns his own automotive shop and employs five other mechanics. 
Gene was on a trajectory for a life in and out of prison. But instead, he became a follower of Jesus and a responsible citizen. He embraced the discipline he received, and he learned how to practice self-discipline, and now he's running a good race. On the day he graduated from trade school, he received his first ever job offer as a mechanic. And he presented Mark and Suzanne with a thank you card. And among other things, it said this. Thanks to the only people who ever love me enough to discipline me. Gene embraced their discipline as a sign of love from a man and a woman who became his parents in every meaning of that word. And the preacher wants you and he wants me to respond to God's discipline in the same way because it reveals him as so much more than our creator. When he disciplines us, he demonstrates that he is our father and that we are his beloved children. It is the most amazing thing that we have the privilege of being in this unique family relationship with the God of heaven and earth. And because he is a good father, He demonstrates his love and his concern through discipline. And so sometimes, excuse me, sometimes as we read here in verse 5, God's discipline comes in the form of a rebuke. A rebuke is an act of discipline that we deserve based on bad behavior. And God sometimes rebukes us simply by letting us experience the full consequences of our stupid actions. And sometimes he rebukes us by sending another member of God's family into our life to lovingly show us where we're falling short and to point out corrective action that we can take. And God our Father also gives us the discipline that we need so that we can grow to maturity. This is expressed by the word chastens here in verse 6 of this passage. It's a word that the Greeks used to describe athletic training. And back in that day, most Greek boys worked out regularly because they understood and believed that physical training was, was a key preparation for life. There was discipline that would come from that. And their training would be overseen by a father or an older man who would serve as a coach. The preacher borrows that idea from Greek culture and he applies it to our lives. And so just as a young man could enter into the discipline of physical training, we can enter into the discipline of spiritual training with God our Father as the coach. And he will give us the discipline we need because he loves us and he wants us to grow into maturity. An athlete in training knows that he has to push through the pain of repetitious drills if he wants to grow his skills. And we can develop spiritually by turning to God in the midst of our own painful experiences and allowing God to help us grow through those times. And that's why the preacher urges us to see hardship as something bigger than just a difficult moment in life. He wants us to to see hardship as an opportunity to receive discipline from a loving father. Discipline that strengthens our faith. Here's maybe a 
a way to understand that. I, I didn't grow up here in the Pacific Northwest. I grew up as a boy in the city. So I don't know, know really anything about logging, but one of our members here told me some things about logging. And here's a fact I learned that I th- think is kind of interesting. In a forest, there often can be some trees that shield and protect other trees. For example, there might be an outer row of trees that grow very strong and they protect the other trees from intense winds. But what happens when that outer row of trees is removed through fire or logging? The trees in the rows behind aren't strong. And a wind comes along and they start to go down. They're not strong enough to stand. They can't endure because they have been overly protected. And the way to stand is to be strengthened through hardship. And that's the value of painful discipline. The hardship makes us stronger. It helps us to endure. It helps us to run a good race. And if we can embrace the advice of the preacher here, we will begin to look at and respond to the hardship of life so very differently. We'll see it as God's loving discipline. And we'll understand that our Father does this to mold us, to shape us, so that we can become more and more like Him. We increasingly can become righteous. That's the ultimate goal of discipline and self-discipline. And that's the final point that the preacher wants us to grasp. Look at verse 9. Moreover, he says, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Get your head around that. We can share in God's holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Training, repetition. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So the preacher now summarizes this part of his message by urging us to stay in training so that we can continually gain strength and finish the race well. He doesn't want God's children limping our way to the finish line. And the preacher also mixes his metaphors. He's been using this athletic metaphor throughout this part of his his message, but now he throws in this agricultural reference. He says that that as we embrace the Father's discipline and learn to practice some self-discipline, then it will produce a spiritual harvest in our lives, a harvest of peace and righteousness. And I believe these come as a package deal. Because as we pursue righteousness, as you and I become more righteous, which means to be in a right relationship with the Heavenly Father, then peace is the natural result. And we will be less anxious about life and less anxious about death and less anxious about circumstances. We will be at peace because we will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Father is watching over us. He is directing all that happens to us and in us and through us. And we will be able to receive everything that happens to us 
as an opportunity for more spiritual training. Training that makes us stronger and helps us become more and more like our Father so we can share in His holiness. It would be nice if it's easy, but it doesn't happen without some pain, the pain of discipline. And so we have to respond to God's chastening and take the opportunity to grow. And God will speak all kinds of things into your life and mine to help us grow in ways that we need to grow. And so it may be that you're watching TV and that little voice of God says, you know, stop zoning out in front of the tube and take a few minutes and pray. Or put down your smartphone and take a few minutes and read your Bible. Or maybe we feel guilty because we haven't been making it a priority to spend time in worship and fellowship with the family of God. Those are some of the kinds of ways that our God chastens us. He's urging us to embrace spiritual disciplines that will help us grow in wisdom and knowledge and faith. Spiritual disciplines that will help us become more mature so we can stand and withstand whatever comes our way. And the preacher likens this to the the discipline of an earthly father. He says, we've all experienced discipline from an earthly parent. And if we can receive that, how much more should we receive gratefully the discipline from our heavenly father? And I think this is actually easier to do when we understand that God's discipline is fundamentally different than our discipline. As I mentioned last week, God the Father and God the Son are not male in the same way that a man is male. The book of Genesis tells us that God made mankind in his own image, male and female. He created them. And this tells us that it takes both males and females, both men and women, to fully reflect the image of God. And this is unusual and it's fascinating because even though God identifies himself in the Bible exclusively with male terms, We also know that his nature and his character embody all of what we understand as maleness and femaleness. Now this shows up in a few different places in the Bible, but one of my favorites is in the book of Matthew chapter 23. And here's the scene we find there. Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees and the scribes. He's giving them some discipline they deserve because of their behavior. And he does so using very strong, authoritative language. He's disciplining them in a way that we would typically associate with a father. But here's what's fascinating. At the end of that harsh critique, Jesus changes his tone. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. It's another rebuke, but the tone is completely different. There's a tone of tenderness this time. Now, over the years, I've learned to be tender toward my children at times, but I have never, ever compared myself to a protective mother hen. And I don't imagine most men have. Jesus does. Jesus does. 
He's handing out some discipline. And as he does so, he expresses the sheltering, nurturing love that we most often typically associate with a mother. And the whole point is this, when we think of God our Father and we think about the discipline that he hands down, we need to view it through a much broader lens than the discipline offered by an earthly father. And perhaps we could say it this way, the discipline we receive from God encompasses what we might call father love and mother love. We need both. And God our Father lovingly, graciously, gives us both kinds of discipline. I've experienced God's discipline in my life in several different ways. One of the most vivid has been my long battle with gluttony. And I've talked with you about that before. And the turning point came when some brothers in God's family showed up and rebuked me. They rebuked me in love and confronted me about my eating habits. And at that moment, I had a choice. Was I going to resist? Was I going to embrace it? And I chose to receive their rebuke as a word of loving discipline from my Heavenly Father. And my brothers in the faith didn't beat me up. They prayed for me. They encouraged me. They coached me. They served as role models for me. They showed me how to run the race in a new way and throw off this sin that was entangling me. And with their help, and with the help of my Heavenly Father, I began to learn some self-discipline so I could begin to get that area of life under control. It was discipline I deserved because of my behavior. And then I think of my friend Millie, who went through a lengthy... (sighs) a lengthy battle with cancer. Nobody deserves cancer. Nobody deserves that. But Millie, God bless her, responded to that cataclysmic news that she had cancer, and she did it by embracing the advice of the preacher here in Hebrews. She chose to receive this incredible hardship as a discipline that would help her grow her faith. And I marvel at what God did in her. And I marvel at how she was able to understand and process what took place. And partway through that long ordeal, she said to me, I would not wish this on my worst enemy. Because what I'm going through is horrible. And then she said, but I wouldn't have missed it for the world. Because I am so much closer to my heavenly father. Our God stepped into that moment of incredible hardship and was equipping her to run the race with endurance. And so she fixed her eyes on Jesus who was waiting for her at the finish line. Waiting to welcome her home. 
our God is a gracious Father, and He gives us the discipline we deserve. He gives us the discipline we need, and He does so in a nurturing way. <clears throat> he disciplines us so that we can share in His holiness and become more and more like Him. And in whatever way God chooses to extend His discipline into your life and mine, we always have a choice. We can run from God's discipline, or we can embrace it. And I hope that whenever God shows up to discipline us, that we will embrace this advice from the preacher and that we will receive God's discipline as an amazing, encouraging sign of his love. Discipline that is a confirmation that we are precious children and he is our loving father.